Here we are, Genesis 29 and 30, and you're probably thinking to yourself, um, like, you had enough just in the first half. Why are you then going into the second half? Well, um, it's equal parts practical that at some point we have to kind of go through the chapters, and also I think there's a connection between these two stories, and uh, we'll try to tease that out. Um, Ultimately, I think the connection is this. It's found in the title of our sermon today, and that is the danger of second things. The danger to your soul of second things. This is one of those topics that I am um, acquainted with quite uh, frequently, and that is the second things that wage war against our souls to keep us from the first thing of Jesus himself. Uh, There was a time in a life past, it feels like, where I just felt like I was done with a certain position in my life, done with time at the place where I was, and I remember going uh, to a retreat, and there was a counselor there, and I was like, man, I just think I'm, I'm, I'm ready to move on. I don't know what that looks like. I'm really scared, however, and the counselor looked at me, and she said, well, okay, well, what are you scared of? And I said, I'll tell you what I'm scared of. Like, I have a mortgage, and at that point, I had two small kids. Little did I know there was going to be a third one. I have two small kids, and I don't know if you know this, but I have a minivan. And you know something's wrong when you prioritize a minivan over Jesus, but that was me, right? And I was like, I got all these things that I'm responsible for. My wife stays at home, and it's all on my shoulders, and if I mess this up, I don't know if we're going to be able to make it. And she looked at me, and she actually stopped me in the middle of my sentence about a minivan, and she said, you know, those all sound like a lot of really good second things. And immediately, I just kind of smiled. You see, when I'm rebuked, sometimes I'll fight, but other times I just smile, and I'm like, dang, that just cut to the heart of who I am, ultimately, because I knew at that moment I was putting some really practical things in the way of following loving and obeying Jesus, and I would bet that you could recall several different um, encounters that you've had just in the last week where second things have taken first place in your heart and your life, and if you haven't, I would encourage you to examine a little bit closely uh, what it is that's calling out to us to take first place. This idea of second things come from C.S. Lewis, who said this in an essay he wrote, He said, put first things first, and we get second things thrown in. Put second things first, and we lose both first and second things. Of course, this idea of second things didn't originate with C.S. Lewis. It actually originated with Jesus, who said this in Matthew 6, 33. He said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Matthew 6, if we know the Bible, will be a good reminder for us that he was talking about anxiety and worry and provision. And he says, consider the lilies of the field. Consider the birds of the air. Don't forget about how your Father in heaven provides for all these things. How much more valuable are you than them? And again, I think today is a great reminder and a warning of an infatuation with second things at the expense of falling in love with the first thing of God himself. You see, here, if we look at Genesis 29 and the first part of 30, and then the last part of 30, there's seemingly two different stories that don't really go 
together. But you've got Jacob's children coming through four different women, which we'll talk about in just a moment. And then you've got Jacob's negotiation with Laban about the feebler and the stronger of the flock and the branches. And this, you could just get lost in all the details. You could just kind of go, okay, those are two separate things. And I think there, there's really some beauty to find them together, not just in the common theme of breeding, so to speak, but also in the common thing of manipulation, of manipulation. Sorry, I just said breeding, and and many women just went, oh, that was not good. I apologize. I was talking about the sheep, not the children, but nonetheless, here we are. There is a connection here between the manipulation, the desperation, and the maneuvering of both Rachel and Leah and Jacob that I think if we look at this, what we'll find is that Rachel uses mandrakes. We'll explain mandrakes in a moment. Quite fascinating. Rachel uses mandrakes to try to manipulate God's favor so that she will have an open womb and to get a child. And Jacob uses the whites of three different tree branches to manipulate God into providing for him. And all along, we're just kind of trying to manipulate it, trying to figure out what is the right move to the rain dance to get the rain to happen. And if that doesn't resonate with us, I would encourage us again to think about why we obey, why we are a part of a church, why we give, why do we sacrifice, what is it that's driving us to do what we know to do? Is it duty? Is it the love of Jesus deeply resonating in our heart? Rachel, Leah, and Jacob all lost sight of the source of their success. It was not mandrakes. It was not the white of branches. It was not uh, the intervention of servants. It was God himself, the greatest first thing. So I know that we're prone to the same types of temptations. I know that I'm prone to the same types of weaknesses and false beliefs to chase down second things And I know that because someone has helped me identify them over time. And I want to put before us uh, second things for us to identify that I think are in the text if we'll just pay attention to what's there. And I'll just warn us, this is not one of those things that we're going to be like, ooh, so super easy to find in black and white. This is a little bit more nuanced than gray. But I want to invite us into that kind of learning and formation because I think that's where we're going to find a lot of life's uh, answers. So let's look at the first second thing. The first second thing is the, sing, the thing of security, the second thing of security. And I don't know about you, but when I read these passages, especially when it comes to Jacob, um, sometimes we read the Bible and we sanitize it. We don't think they're real people and that are like dealing with real struggles and trying to find real ways to solve their problems. Um, And so let's just put skin on this, let's humanize it, and let's see what it is that they're chasing down, because ultimately, their greatest struggle isn't some addiction. Their greatest struggle uh, isn't alcoholism or pornography or, 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 or materialism, although maybe it is a little bit for Jacob. Their ultimate struggle is chasing down a really good thing. If you remember the promise over Jacob that was reiterated on the way to the land where Laban lives, that God would be with him, that he would provide for him, and that he would make his descendants like the dust of the earth. And all of a sudden, we find ourselves in Genesis 29 and 30, and we have to read this and go, is this what God intended? Like, is this the way that God 
wanted Jacob to take hold of the promise that God had given them. You see, what is battling for the affection of Jacob and Leah and Rachel, it is something really good. Something that we need to be aware of, that if out of order, can become really evil. It was Augustine who said, evil is disordered love. Disordered love. It's something that you love, but you love it out of order. You've put second thing in first place. The second thing of security is the first thing that's, hap- that's really calling out to everybody in this passage. Um, so here's how we can define this, and here's how I've come to define it over time through one of uh, my mentors through book and in person, a guy by the name of Larry Crabb who wrote a book on marriage that I, it's escaping me at this moment, but I'll send it out and group me, group me this week. But he, he defines these two needs like this. Security is nothing other than love or acceptance. And he says acceptance Uh, The kind of security that is our deepest need that we look to find and fulfill in other places is this acceptance and unconditional love that comes without the need to change. It is the kind of love that cannot be earned, nor can it be lost. You see, Leah, when she was given kids, she still found her deepest need of security in childbearing. And we see this, we see this deep need of love starting to flesh its way out in what she names her first three kids. So if you look at the names of her first three kids, look at what she names them. It's really not about her, her joy in Jesus. It is about her deepest need of significance not being found in God, but being found in her acceptance with her husband. Look at these first three names in verse 32 of 29. And Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. She's trying to find her security, her love, her acceptance in the love of her husband, Jacob. We go on in verse 33, when it's not just Reuben, but now Simeon. She names him Simeon in verse 33, because the Lord has heard that I am hated, rejected, I'm not loved. My security is not found in my marriage. He has given me this son. Now I might find security here. In the next verse with Levi, now this time my husband will be attached to me because I've now borne him three sons. There's this deep need for love and acceptance inside of Leah's soul that she is trying to find outside of a relationship with God. And instead of going vertical with that need, she goes to her husband and ultimately her her kids. Leah wants Jacob to love her. And she looks to childbearing to gain that love. It doesn't stop with her first three, but she goes on to name her other Two children through Zilpah in verses uh, 30, verses 11 and third and 13 by basically saying this, for Gad, right, that good fortune has come. And then again, uh, sorry, that was for, uh, yeah, for Gad, and then again for Asher, happy am I, for women have called me happy. And what she's basically saying there through her last two kids or these last two kids is ultimately this, like all women shall now envy me because I've got all these sons. I will find my acceptance. I will find my security. I will find love in this world, if nothing else, through bearing children. And you and I both know, 
It is a dangerous thing to find your security in either your marriage or in parenting. And if you don't know, let me remind you, it is a dangerous thing to find your needs to be met in your spouse. That is a dangerous place to go to find that your emotional, your spiritual, your physical needs, like the deepest core of who you are, this idea of security and love, this unconditional love that cannot be lost, nor can it be gained. It is a dangerous thing to be finding that in a marital relationship or in a parenting relationship. I can guarantee you if you have done that, and you have, You've thought, man, I don't know what happened here. And, 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 and any good counselor's office is full of marriages that are finding, trying to find their needs in their spouse or in their kids. It is a dangerous place to live. Leah's truest hope is in the love of the God who provided the children, not in the man who provided the children, and certainly not in the children themselves, and yet she is blinded by second things. She's not alone. Remember this guy Jacob who is going in to all these women. The students are not in here. Going in to all these women, right? He is right there with her, right? I mean, I don't know about you, but when I read this story about Jacob, like what is compelling the man to have sex with all these women? If he so loves Rachel, remember, remember the end of, of Rachel where he worked for her 14 years and they just, they just felt like a couple of days. If he so loves Rachel, what is compelling him other than his wife's recommendation? But what is compelling him to do these things? And I think I can only deduce, and I'll stand over here to say this is conjecture. This is not found in God's word, but this is conjecture. I can only deduce that there is a deep and wide God-sized hole in Jacob's heart that he is trying to fill in the love of women and in the production of children. And it started off with a dad wound, did it not? It started off with a rejection that he found from his father Isaac. Isaac never blessed Jacob until he thought he was someone else. And I don't know if that's you in the room. I don't know if you have, have come into church and wondered if these people will let you down just like everybody else has. And you know the answer to that? The answer is yes, we will. Absolutely. Your hope for security and unconditional love is not found in these people, nor is it found in a significant other, but it is found in the love of Jesus. See, Jacob had this God-sized hole in his heart that was founded with Isaac, who did not bless him until he thought he was Esau. It was magnified with his brother, who he probably looked up to because he was out there doing all the man's man stuff. He had the blessing of his father. Esau wanted to murder him. That just multiplied the wound. Then he goes to another man, all these men just letting him down. He goes to Laban's world, and Laban just manipulates him. Into basically, and, and, and puts him into the place of a servant, no longer a family member. And these wounds are multiplying and festering over time until all of a sudden he is in full idolatry mode looking for his security, his unconditional love through the arms of a woman and through the significance found in multiple children. 
when Rachel sells Jacob for Leah's son's mandrakes, so if you don't know this, mandrakes, we don't, I don't know that anybody's growing mandrakes in your land or in your backyard, but if you are, I, I would like to, I would, anyways, I, it, it's amazing. Um, I was going to say I'd like to have some, but then I'm about to define what a mandrake is. It's an aphrodisiac. Um, and so they're ultimately, they, what they believed in the time is that, that if they would take a mandrake, it would not just produce uh, the mood, but also make one fertile. Okay, and so Rachel is getting so desperate watching her sister Leah, watching servants now becoming a part of the household in a way that was really only supposed to be for her. She's using all this and she's seeing all this and now she sees Reuben out in the field, Leah's firstborn, and she goes to Leah and says, hey, your son got some mandrakes, I would like some. And Leah knows exactly why. Is it not enough that you've stolen my husband? Now you want more? And she goes, all right, I'll tell you what, you can sleep with Jacob tonight. Apparently she had that power in the household. You can sleep with Jacob tonight, but I'm going to need those mandrakes. And Leah goes, deal. And Leah goes out to the field, right? She, she meets Jacob out in the field and says, hey, Jacob, my man, you get to be with me tonight. And Jacob goes, doesn't like begrudgingly, at least to the scriptures, go, okay. And she's like, oh, look, I'm loved. I'm wanted. I'm accepted. I'm finding some, some security here in the fact that someone else would give something else up for me. Someone would sacrifice to be with me? Oh, okay, I'll go. Though he loved Rachel, he sacrificed a lot of his character simply because someone else accepted him, even if it was momentary. So I'm asking, as we end this discussion on the First, second thing of security. Friends, in what ways have you been looking for security in things that cannot make good on the promise to love you unconditionally? Is it in your spouse? Is it in your children? It's a dangerous thing to put your children at the center of your family. For, to, to, to have everything revolve around your kid's mood or their, even their schedule. Guilty on both accounts. It is a dangerous thing to put our kids or our spouse or, 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 or our reputation at the center of everything so that we might find security in these things. Friends, where do you find acceptance which cannot be earned and could never be lost? The second thing of security. The next second thing is the second thing of significance. Here is Ultimately, how Larry Crabb defines this next second thing of significance. It's achievement. It can also be found in accumulation. I don't know where you live in the suburbs, but I live in the suburb of accumulation. I know it's called Richmond, but it's actually called the suburb of accumulation. You know this because you can't park in your, in your driveway, you can't park in your, in your garage, or you have a second garage, or you have a storage facility. It is the second thing of significance where you have a need, check this out, for responsibility. You have a need for a job that truly matters. And that job and that responsibility has a meaningful impact on other people. And it has eternal reward as its result. This is the second thing that's driving Rachel, is it not in verse 1 and 2? Of chapter 30, when Rachel saw that she, Leah, bore Jacob no children, 
all of her significance, all of her idolatry of, of achievement and that, that, that really important job starts to come to her heart and she's got to look to other ways to satisfy that idol. She envied her sister. Isn't that the root of most of this? She said to Jacob, give me my children, give me some children or I shall die. And that kindled anger in Jacob in verse 2. Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel. And he said, am I in the place of God who has withheld you from the fruit of the womb? This, this job with eternal and meaningful impact, this, this, this responsibility that truly matters was eluding Rachel. And she was looking to a man to fulfill that for her. Rachel looked to her marriage to meet her need for significance, and when that fell apart, she demanded something change. When she finally conceives and gives birth to her son, what does she name him but Joseph? If we look at that in verse 24, and she called his name Joseph, saying, may the Lord add to me another son. Not my dreams are fulfilled. I'm fully satisfied in you, oh God. Now that I have one, I want more. My significance is not found until I catch up to my sister Leah. I need more. I need now. Of course, Rachel is not alone. She was led in this by Jacob. If we switch over from all the things that are happening in the first half of this story and then now go to the second half of the story, you could be a little confused about what's going on with Laban and Jacob. Jacob has worked for 14 years for Laban and he has nothing to show for it in his own household. And so he goes to Laban and he says, hey, great that you've been blessed by my presence, but I think it's about time that I get blessed by my presence. That's what he says basically in verse 30, 30, for you had, uh, for you had little before I came and it has increased abundantly and the Lord has blessed you whatever I turned. But now when, when shall I provide for my own household also? Jacob proposes to shepherd Laban's flock and his proposal ultimately in the negotiations was that he would only take the spotted, the speckled sheep, lamb, or goats. Laban then goes, and what does he do? Because he's a trickster himself. As soon as he says, sounds like a good idea, you can have all the speckled ones, all the imperfect ones, he goes into the flock and removes all the speckled ones and the imperfect ones and pulls them off to the side. And ultimately what he's doing is he's making Jacob's life harder. He's ensuring that Jacob serves for longer, and he does not get what he wants immediately and Jacob apparently sees all this and goes okay cool well I got a little little plan of my own up my sleeve matter of fact I got all these branches here of almond trees and plane trees and all these different kinds of trees right and what does he do he takes those branches and there was superstitious belief to peel the branches in half exposing the white center so that the the, the flock would come and breed while looking at the white of the tree and therefore produce speckled, spotted offspring. That's the whole thing of what Jacob is trying to do. And over time, what ends up happening? Over time, what ends up happening is that Jacob's flock is multiplied with spotted and speckled and white. And we don't ever see in chapter 30 his recognition that it was God who produced this. Instead, he's like, man, my breeding strategies are killer. 
I am nailing this. What does he attribute his success to? It is upon his own striving, his own strategy. Is it his education that he knows how to deal with livestock? Was it just mere luck? Was it his skill set? Was it the others that were there that were helping out behind the scenes? That was God. In chapter 30, we don't see his recognition of that. He instead was providing out of his own strength, and it worked. At the end of verse, uh, chapter 30 and verse 33, thus the man increased greatly and had large flocks, female servants, male servants, camels, and donkeys. This worked. He strove after significance, seeking after and being deceive, deceiving along the way. And even as he did, it worked. God blessed him in a mighty way. But that doesn't mean that it was his strategy that was the payoff, or the reason for the payoff. So I'm again compelled to ask a question as we end this conversation around the second thing of significance. Where are you tempted to find your importance? Where are you tempted to find your significance, your identity? Through what avenues? Is it spouse? Is it your kids? Is it work? Is it accumulation? Is it achievement? Where do you seek to be respected based on the comparison that you can make with others. Isn't this what every lawn sign is made of? Like, my daughter is a varsity blah, blah, blah at this school. This is why when I was the all-star manager this year, I was like, I can't do the yard signs to put out in front of my house where it says Moses is an all-star there's something deep in my heart that I was just like, I, can't, I cannot brag like that on my own kid. There's something in that that someone else could easily have driven by and been like, man, my kid go play baseball. That really, the message that we're sending to myself, maybe to our neighbors and others, where do you find your significance? What drives your material consumption? It is, an, is it not to keep up with the Joneses? Or are you the Joneses? Are you setting a pace so that others might envy you, Oleah? All women are going to envy me now. Where are we in this rat race of comparison and envy and significance? Whether it be finding significance through family, through children, through achievement, accumulation, doing a really good job, it is the second thing of significance that is a sneaky danger into your heart. Oftentimes, significance and security, we don't know we're serving these idols outside of a love from God until it's far too late, and we go, man, why did that hurt so bad? Why did that let me down so terribly? It's because we put all of our hope and trust into second things. But God doesn't leave us there. God gives us the first thing of himself, God himself, and his grace. Though it is tempting to find a temporary and more immediate solace in these temporary measures of relief in a spouse and a child and achievement and doing good work and accumulation, there is a hit of dopamine that will only last so long, probably be gone by the time the Amazon truck shows up. And you realize, I think I need another thing. We don't. I know they're just right here, and it makes it super convenient now. 
that dopamine will only last so long, not even the amount of time it gets to deliver to your front door. So friends, we have some choices on how we see life unfolding. We will serve the, God, the gods of second things, or we will praise the God who is the first thing. So, some scenarios. We can either trust in dumb luck for how our life is turning out, or we can believe in God's sovereign providence of grace. Was Leah just super fertile? Is that what got her all these children? Not if we look at the text. Look at 29, verse 31. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb. Again, in verses, uh, chapter 30, verse 17, and when all these mandrakes went down, and God listened to Leah, and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. It was God who looked down on the outcast and helped her. Was it the mandrakes that Rachel, Rachel ate that allowed for her to get pregnant? No, if you find it in Genesis 39, 22, no, I'm sorry, Genesis 30, 22, then God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her womb. Was it Jacob's keen strategy with the white branches that produced this broad flock? No, what you find later on in his own telling of the story in Genesis 31, verses 9 and 16, it says this, thus God has taken away the livestock of Laban. And he has given them to me. Again in verse 16. And all the wealth that God has taken away from Laban belongs to us and to our children. It's not bad to strategize. It's bad to put all your hope in the strategy. And I wonder what second things are pulling at our hearts. I wonder where we have misplaced hope in community. Misplaced hope in a job. Misplaced hope. In children, we can also look to others to fill this God-sized hole in our heart, or we can trust God's provision for our deepest need of security and unconditional love in Jesus. It was Brennan Manning who said, do you really believe that God loves you as you are and not as you should be? Because you'll never be as you should be. You find your security in a God who loves you because of grace. Yesterday I was at a funeral, the second one I've gone to here recently in this particular church, type of church, and during communion time, um, they ask you to kneel, and my wife was not kneeling out of conviction, and I was kneeling, and then they said a certain thing, and I got up off my knees, and I just sat back, and I said, I can't kneel to that. And what it was that they were asking us to do was to take communion to take the Lord's Supper as an acceptable sacrifice for the salvation of the deceased. Man, that breaks my heart. And I just leaned over to my sister, who's, I don't think, a believer, and I said, see, these are the kinds of things that you do when your religion is based on works, when your security and your significance is found on strategy and man-made things and not on the grace of God. That do we believe that the truly finished work of Jesus is enough for us? Or do we got to add to them? Add a little bit of this, add a little bit of that, or do we live by God's grace that he truly loves us 
not as we should be, but as we are. We live our lives to the approval of others or from the approval we have in Christ Jesus because when we fear rejection, we serve an approval idol. It is the fear of man. Proverbs 29 says, The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. If we fear people, we are living in a trap. But if we would fear the Lord, we find ourselves to be safe. See, we can, we can look to others to fill that God-sized hole. We can, we, can, we can wear ourselves out striving to be significant through spouse and kids and accumulation, or we trust in Jesus' achievement. That when he said it is finished on the cross, he declared that your sins were paid in full. Do you believe that, Christian? Do you, did you forget that your sins, the one that you committed last week, the one that you're going to commit this week, ones where you've been feeble and fickle towards God, where your discipleship has not been as consistent as you'd hoped, where you, you know what, you, you look real good on the outside this summer on Facebook and Instagram, but on the inside, there's just something not right. Do you believe that God has finished the work on your behalf or are you caught in the trap of trying to perform for him? We may forget when we go to work, when we have children, when we chase them around throughout the city with sports and everything else, and it's a, we're just chasing down second things, putting second things in first position in our hearts many days. Will we remember that our significance is found truly in being found by Jesus? that his forgiveness is full? Would we instead, though, remember that the Spirit calls out for us to rest not in our own achievement, but in the achievement which Jesus accomplished on our behalf? And friends, he gave it to you. You cannot earn it. You cannot lose it. This is true grace. Will we live our lives to accomplish more and accumulate more, and will we strive and wear ourselves out all for the name of Jesus on the outside, but on the inside, it's really for our name. Will we trust that he has accomplished and accumulated far more than we could ever fathom in Jesus, and he's given it to us in fullness? And Will we truly trust this with our lives, or will we spend our days chasing down the second things that so easily pull at our hearts? Let's pray. Our Father, we are grateful that you pursue people that pursue other things. That amidst of what looks good on the outside, fruitfulness, multiple children, all kinds of accumulation that our, our, our society would demand, the Lord has blessed them. May we not be a people that gain the whole world and yet forfeit our soul. May we not be a people that seek after all these things but never seek after the kingdom or the righteousness found in Christ. We, O oh Lord, may we be a people who chase, pursue, strive, fight to make sure first things stay first things and second things remain in their position. For all the things coming after our hearts this week and after the hearts of our kids, Lord, we ask that you would keep us from evil, deliver us from temptation, 
May we find our daily bread not in being respected by others online or in person. May we not find the manna of heaven for our souls to be found in the love of people. Even if it's in the love of our, our parents or the love of our children or the love of our spouse, that too is a trap. I pray, Lord, that the deepest needs of our souls as a people would be found and satisfied in the love that our Father in heaven has shown in sending his Son. And may that not just be things that we say or recite or sing, but truly the thing that is the most, has the most weight, the, the, the most powerful magnet in our souls to chase down and be attracted to. Help us, O oh Lord, in these things. In Christ's name do I pray.